0: Hey, it's Kristen. You're listening to Rational in Portland. For joining us on Rational in Portland. I'm so excited because I have Nancy Rommelman sitting right across from me. And it's basically the eve of the second year anniversary of the podcast. And Nancy put this thing on the map. So it's, it's, I'm kind of reeling that she's sitting across from me right now and live in person. None of that is true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am live in person, but the rest of it is not true. And Uh, you have not stopped writing about Portland. You know, Portland is the the story that keeps on giving. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for having me back again. I'm so thrilled you're here. Um, So uh, I, I did live here from 2004 to 2019. And then I moved back to New York, but kept coming back here. And then, of course, we had what happened in 2020. And I covered that a lot for Reason Magazine and other publications. And that sort of spilled into 2021. And then when you were poured a beat for a while not only was i interested because i lived here for so long and had seen the changes in the city but people bring you stories you know they they're like nancy did you see this i got one today from my editor like did you see this So joanne hardesty apparently has won some money from the city because uh, you know basically some false information was reported about her by a police officer and i, you know, I think she, not that i'm a particularly big fan of Hardesty's, i'm not but that was not cool what happened so she's you know she's she's won some money but um people will bring me stories or alert me to something that's going on. So I've just sort of stayed on the Portland story. And it it does, the city is evolving. And I think, you know, as I've written a bunch of times, there's been some not so great downstream effects um, from some of the policies that were put in place uh, in 2020 and even before. So this continues, at least for me, to be a story. And obviously, I would assume for some Portlanders and, and some people in the rest of the country are also are interested. Well, I'm really
0: grateful that you're writing about it. And of course, the New York Times has just recently (laughs) stopped gaslighting us when they're writing about it, which I'm really thankful for because I was paying, I felt like I was paying a mint every month. I guess I have a yearly, but I felt like I was paying a mint to read the John McWhorter column. And now at least there's, you know, a few other things that I can read. I always like modern love and stuff. And I loved your modern love, of course, in, in the New York Times. But what did you think about that? Because I mean, do you agree that the New York Times has suddenly
1: evolved on its coverage of Portland? So I had a, a, I did have a reaction. So what happened about, I guess it's almost a month ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, the Times came out with some fairly big pieces about Portland. Front page news stories. One was about the homeless situation. Another was about the fentanyl situation. I think there was one other. And then they did a actually a pretty nice... Um, I guess that was the, the the drug one, the fentanyl one. One ten, measure one ten, is a pretty nice photo essay, you know. And and these can be I thought s- it was too. They can be very effective. Um, you know, you have somebody going in and writing, and you're writing small, chunky captions or little bits, and you you take really evocative photos. However, having said that, um, after the first piece, I was I found myself maybe unexpectedly angry. I was angry because I thought. Well, you know, some of us has been reporting this pretty granularly for three years. And now you're coming in. I I didn't mind that they were doing the work. That's totally fine. But it was almost with this, gosh, gee, you, you know what's going on in Portland? And so that, I guess you could just be like, well, why would that upset you? But what sort of pissed me off, it didn't ultimately, but it did at the beginning was, you know... We are in the business as journalists of bringing people the story the best way we can. Do we always get it right? Are people partisan? Do we make mistakes? Sure, all of these things happen. However, there was a big story going on in Portland and it was not being reported by many in the mainstream media and also for, you know, on both sides of the aisle. Like, are and what do you think that story was that, that wasn't being reported? The story that was not being reported was that the violence in the streets in Portland was by and large the aggressors were um, were the people on the left, whether you call them Antifa, whether you call them Yahoos, whether you call them people that just had been stuck in the house with COVID and now wanted to go out there, whether you called them the people that were supporting them with you know bail funds. I was out in the street many dozens of nights. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw the aggression that was going on. I saw a lot of bad behavior from the left. Was there also some bad behavior um, from perhaps the police or the federal troops that came in. I'm sure there was. But that was what was reported for the most part. I understand that people were angry that Trump sent sent troops here. I get especially that Portland would be because Portland was very, very anti-Trump. And that's fine. You can be anti-Trump and you can be unbelievably angry that there are federal troops here. And I will to the death defend your right to be. But I do believe the role of the journalist is to report what they see and what people tell them. And I did not feel that that was happening. You had extreme reactions you had. I've written and said this before. You had Fox News on one side saying, savages coming to your town. And you had MSNBC (laughs) saying, there's nothing to see here. I'm like, well, neither of these things are, are what the story is. So, all right. So this happens. And let's just take the New York Times for an example. They did some good work back there, back then. But it was quite also slanted because, you know, obviously the Times is very anti-Trump, as is obviously they're right. And I'm no big fan of the guy. I'm not a fan of the guy really at all, except he can be pretty funny sometimes. But what 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 do you think
0: they were doing that was good?
1: I think they did some fair reporting. During, on Portland? Or? Uh, on Portland. I, think, I mean, I think there was a guy, you know, I didn't like all his work, but Mike Baker did some. He he wrote some articles. He was out there on the same nights that I was. I read his piece. You know, the next day, and I saw, like, you know, he was reporting some of the same things I saw. However, the narrative, for the most part, was, look, people are very, very upset, and they have a right to be upset, and the troops are here, and George Floyd was killed, and Portland is trying to... Portland is trying to almost be an avatar for the feelings for the rest of the country, and we want to support that because we actually we believe in the narrative of treating people more fairly. We believe in police not having overreach. We believe that Trump has been you know a pig or, or overstepped in many ways. Okay, I get it, but if you then are sort of not reporting the whole story, you're you are creating and cementing a narrative. Okay, when you do that. That becomes what the narrative is, and then laws are passed, and then people believe that this is all going to be the right thing that they're doing. Okay, now what happens? Twenty twenty one, we have COVID. There's a you know a, there's a war in Ukraine. The Times is covering the entire world, and that's fine. They shouldn't be covering Portland every day. That's not their job. But they weren't paying attention to the downstream effects that they, I believe, as the paper of record had a hand in help creating yeah I,
0: I agree with and that
1: that is what got me really really angry I was like okay you're coming in here and saying gee willikers look at all this stuff that's happening in Portland it's like yeah because you know what guys you sort of had a hand in 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 look they didn't make it happen but you should have been paying attention now and I also you know what I thought the pictures in the in the photo essay, as nice as they were. They were a little too romantic for my taste. In any case, <laughs> but they were. But I ultimately was not angry because I thought, you know what? Okay, they've written some stories. I think that's worthwhile. I think it's worthwhile to pay attention to some of the troubles that are occurring here. Will they stay on the story? Probably not. It'll probably be just like it was. They'll go off and pay attention to other big stories in the world as, as they must do. Um, I had some people online say to me, oh, you must be satisfied, Nancy, that like the things you've been writing, they're writing about two and a half years later. I'm like, no, no, I'm not satisfied. What, What satisfaction could I take from this? They're like, well, do you feel vindicated? I'm like, no, I feel like they've done their job a little too late. But you know what, Kristen, I've made it my beat. It doesn't mean that other people are going to. So I'm glad that they wrote the stories. The Times is a great paper in many ways. Yeah, this is not going to be somebody's beat at the Times. No, it's not. Uh, And that's fine. And that's fine. Right. So, okay, that's that's how I felt. So but let's see now. You know, can you think of I, I can hear a listener saying
0: something like and most of our listeners, of course, are from Portland. So I can I can hear a listener saying something like, well. Okay, I, I kind of theoretically I understand what you're saying, but can you give us an example of a way in which you think the New York Times has contributed to the demise of the city? So there's this narrative about how we're what we're doing in 2020, and I would call them. You were there for them. I wasn't. I was. I was not here at night in the middle of it. But but I would call it a riot. Is that what you would call what was going on at night?
1: Um. You know,
0: cuz you were there, I should like, I'm going to rely on you.
1: It felt like a rave, okay? It felt like some crazy you had people that had been cooped up, all of a sudden they felt like they were on the right side of history. They were young, they had so much energy and they were so angry. Even when they weren't angry, it was like this giant party almost and then sort of like anything goes and you've got the feds in there and they're the enemy and so let's dress up and let's throw things on the building and you know what happens mobs get sort of they get worked up and you know sometimes things really got out of hand I definitely do not agree and I, I remember marching with them a couple of nights after Biden was elected and they just randomly smashed in dozens of windows including wild fang it's like Wild Fang, which is a gender-neutral clothing company where in the window there yeah. was a Martin Luther King quote that said it's something woman like that. It's woman-owned. It's, it's like, a feminist. Yeah. So it really wasn't about, I knew, I mean, I had a lot of people say to me, running up to the election in 2020. Like, like oh, well, so so if Biden wins, everything's going to be fine, right? I'm like, are you high? I, I had the this, same
0: reaction. And is, they smashed out the Democratic headquarters yeah, here. You know that, right? Yeah, 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 that was one of my favorite parts. This
1: was about the energy that they derived from doing this. So how did the New York Times, we're, we're, we're sort of using it at the, at the Times as a whipping boy here. Let's just say. Which is maybe
0: unfair, but I, I think given so, that it's the paper of record and it's finally started reporting on it um, with some nuance about what's going on with Portland. Let's. I feel like it's fair to go ahead and use it as an example. Well,
1: I would roll in. Let's just roll in. Let's say you know MSNBC or sure. something, right? If you are not reporting what's actually happening, okay, you're 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 looking at this violence every night and you're saying, well, there's not really anything to see here. Well, then who feels that they're in the right? And what else do we forgive? I think the best example I can come up with for how they might be responsible is we started re and this is not this is not only unique to Portland, we started re-categorizing what was a crime. Okay. Is it a crime to break a window? Well, not if you're protesting. Okay. Is it a crime to, you know, rob this person's store or demolish their store if it's in the act of heated act? No, it's not a crime anymore. Interfere with a police officer. Is it? And so you keep, you keep moving the line. So if you keep moving the line, then then what happens? It's like, okay, well, the populace actually is okay with this. We're okay with not doing these things. So we know that now, so who's going to be elected? Well, we're going to elect people that you know kind of agree with that. We're kind of like support these people. We o- we almost had an openly you know antifa supporting mayor, Sarah like, um, yeah. in this in this in this city, and she may have won had there not been the right in candidate, right? Who took something like a 11- It was bizarrely close. It was bizarrely close, um, and she was very pro antifa. However, you want to describe antifa, what, whether you think it exists or not, um, she did believe it existed um or and it, and maybe it's more their their ideas though i really i really still don't understand what their ideas are besides breaking things because i haven't seen it but in any case okay so you elect people that agree with this sort of new way of being. And or you at million, least make them into legitimate candidates, right? right. So like we well, didn't elect
0: Sarah, but she was certainly a legitimate candidate. I mean, she was a player.
1: She was. And or we have people that are very pro, let's say we can use defunding the police. Okay, so we do that. Our so, mayor, Ted Wheeler, right. defunded the police. Right. Well, but he also now has tried to backtrack. And he also, you know, I used to say, if you think that you can support this sort of violence... And then not expected to come back on you, you're insane. I mean, he has been attacked. He has had his child chased. He has been run out of his building. Not that I think he should have moved out, but oh, he it was did set fire. Yeah. yeah. So, you now have created a new environment which allows these things that no longer categorize crimes a crime. And I'm, I can talk a little bit of, I do want to talk a little bit about the Rachel Abraham murder because we're coming up next week or end of the week is, is one year anniversary of her murder. When you stop making certain things criminal, you're not going to prosecute, you're not going to arrest. Well, you have a certain degrading of what we consider to be certain social norms. And then then it's like, well, listen, if, if, if breaking a window isn't a crime, then what about robbing your car? What about assault? Well, now we've got, you know, judges that maybe were elected because we do have elected judges in Portland, right? Yep. That are maybe a little more of that stripe, a little more lenient. So you do start to change the character of the city and that, okay, every single thing starts with the story, the stories we tell ourselves. And as journalists, I think we are, it is attendant upon us. To tell the truth as we see it. And I think for a while it was not popular at a lot of outlets nationally and locally to um, to tell the story as they saw it happening now again, that's my feeling. I'm sure you could get someone in here from the Portland Mercury or from uh, a very conservative news outlet who they'd have very different views. And they'd say, I don't think we have any conservative outlets
0: in Portland, but sure. Well, but a national one. Sure. You could get a Fox.
1: uh, Right. And they would highlight. Okay. So if you've got someone saying nothing to see here on MSNBC, and you've got Fox saying they're all heathens, lock them all up. Well, who do you believe? Well, you have to get some trustworthy people on the ground. And I from my point of view, there just weren't that many for a while. I think there are now. I think it was just
0: and I I know, I mean, I'm a fan. I've always been a fan, and I was I was always reading you for that fair coverage. But as far as I knew, and I'm a pretty large consumer of news, as far as I knew, you were the only person that was in the actual me- the actual the uh, melee. Well, that, that's the word I was going to use. But I know if it was fair. But, but what was going on at night? You were there, and your people may not know what you look like. You're a, you're not a tall woman. Five eight. You're not a large, large woman. No, not a
1: large woman. Not a large
0: woman. You're not. You're certainly not short, but but you're also um, thin. And um, you're not necessarily imposing. You're very nice. You're very. That's probably how you get people to talk to you. Frankly, um, I if I had known you personally, then
1: I mean, and even as a reader, I was afraid for you. See, I wasn't afraid, uh, and I'll tell you why I wasn't afraid. Because when I said it had like the spirit of a rave or some like crazy party, most of the people there were very young. They were very happy to be there whether they were angry they felt like they were doing the right thing they weren't interested in attacking me they tried to intimidate me a bunch of times because they didn't like what I wrote but I was the only time I ever had any like real fear was one dude swung a metal rod at me um and he that's late, pretty big yeah but I you know it was it was daylight there were a lot of people around it wasn't just he was just it was daylight I mean see that's what I witnessed so I wasn't here at night but
0: we're sitting in my office right now and I'd say the core of upper core of downtown and I I saw I saw violence almost every day um unfortunately it wasn't ever directed at me but you know um I mean, people getting hurt really bad, just suddenly people would appear out of nowhere and just start beating on it. And it was usually a guy. It was usually, a, I don't ever remember seeing a woman. It was always, the target was a man. And it was, most of the people that were running around here um, engaging in that kind of conduct were men during the day anyway. Um, but that was during the day. And so that's why I say, you know, I just get, if everybody's getting worked up, it's
1: hot, It's it can't, you can get caught up in that. And I think that it has been the case where people can work themselves into a lather. I and, mean, and we were one of the few cities where somebody died. Oh, I know. I, I you I, reported
0: on I, it, Erin Danielson. That's right.
1: That's right. Um, that I have to say, you know, I spoke with uh, someone who was working here in law enforcement, federal law enforcement, um, during the time, and he said, you know, Nancy. There's a reason why Portland did not become Minneapolis where 300 buildings were dur- burned to the ground where more people died. He said, you know, the police even though they were really had some challenges, they were able to do their job, but I don't only know that that's the reason. I think Portlanders for the most part were not were not as angry as maybe they were in in some other cities well but george floyd happened
0: in minneapolis no i know i, I know. mean i think yeah, if yeah, it had yeah. happened here i don't think you we,
1: i don't think we would have seen what really saw,
0: i don't okay I, say more
1: i i that's fascinating portlanders the people that were rioting down there or causing mayhem they were for the most part very young they were not disenfranchised They were, you know, they seemed like a lot of times like middle class college kids, and they were very caught up in the moment. I don't think they were prepared to murder people. I do not. I did. I worried during the um, riots, melee, whatever you want to call it. I really did worry at a certain point that they were going to start building bombs in basements and go like full weather underground and start bombing people. They didn't do that we had a few um we had you know some molotov cocktails thrown some ieds but we i don't think that they were of they were of the i don't like the word passion but they were of the passion to commit mayhem but not murder i don't i don't think we had that here i don't even think they would even if george floyd had had been killed here i don't think they would have burned down 300 buildings Uh, that's just an opinion i haven't given this a lot of thought um and then what happened, Kristen? You know, why do you think that is, though? I think it's the kind of person that. Who, who? What kind of young person moves to Portland? They're idealistic. They are often, you know, from the East Coast. They're kind of arty. They're kind of green. They're they're more identitarians than they are um, terrorists. They're they're interested in identity politics, and they're interested in fairness, and they're interested in you know. Equity. Um, they're not terrorists. It it seems. Although to me, I think a lot of people felt terrorized. Yes. Well, that's what happens when you get two thousand people screaming and, and and propelling, launching things at the building. Sure. I mean, what's happened today? I walked from. Um, I've been downtown all day. Started out. Yeah. Talk about what you've seen around here because we're sitting so, downtown right now. Right. So I got here uh, Saturday night and yesterday I was. Down. And as you reminded me yesterday, you weren't here that long ago. As before what last spring or something here in may yeah it's here in may um i was walking downtown i was sort of near the stadium the soccer stadium and i was walking toward powell's and it really felt dead the streets really felt dead but i was like you know what it's sunday night everybody's at the soccer stadium like you're not what do i know i'm not usually i lived here for 15 years i wasn't usually at powell's at a sunday night so what do i know is this what the streets feel like fine 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 then I went today down sort of by the Chinese gardens and I was doing some interviewing down in the sort of the pit, as they call it down there, with a lot of homeless. And I walked around, I walked to the Pearl and I was like, wow. And the pit is this area. Under the steel bridge. Right. Under
0: the steel bridge. And it's, um, it's, it's right uh, sort of on the edge of Chinatown, right. old town. Right. And, and my understanding is just from walking around downtown and watching it kind of spring up is when during Pride in June, when they sort of went through Old Town, because Old Town, Chinatown was a spot that that some of the Pride festivities were going to be, so they had to get that cleaned up. They got a lot of these encampments off of the sidewalks, these open-air drug markets off of the sidewalks, I'm just going to call it what they are, open-air drug markets off of the sidewalks, and then They all migrated to this place that is now known to people who are aware of what's going on down there or those of us who kind of keep an eye on the homelessness situation is the pit, quote unquote, the pit. And so you actually went there today.
1: Yeah. So I have to say, but I I actually reported from that from Third Street by the Chinese Garden last year or last May. And it was a mess. I mean, it was And my friend Jesse Burke on Society Hotel down there. It was it was just lined and there was like dealers on their bikes and they were terrorized it was it was pretty bad and today it was pretty quiet because I mean, they moved were, it
0: yeah.
1: but the pit per se oh this li- literally I've learned i this. found
0: the pit to be pretty quiet when i walked past it actually
1: it's apparently i mean there's a lot of action i guess around there but the pit itself is apparently from what i was told i talked to a bunch of people uh down there it's it's about 60 people that are living down there pretty regulars they've got their tents um they've got some setup i mean one guy i talked to had a real pretty i wouldn't say sweet encampment but it was you know Pretty nice, pretty commodious. Still, you know, he told me it's still dangerous. He, he leaves to go do things and he comes back and all the stuff is gone. But um, the people were nice and there was a, a nonprofit that came down and we're delivering some socks and some water and stuff like that. But um, so then I, I walked up to the Pearl and then I walked around a bit and walked here and walked to Powell's and I am fairly sure. Now it's a Monday around three o'clock. Streets are pretty, are pretty empty. There are definitely stores that are closed up. Some still boarded over. I don't know for how long. But a I, bizarre amount, though, right? I, for, for a city? Yeah. Yes. I mean, but, you know, kind of historically, downtowns can be sort of more dead than and other... Like, I'm staying by North Williams. Things are great. Things are beautiful. Smells like jasmine. There's a new place. We went to bar three. I mean, it's just like... It looked great. It was... There was no... I used to live in that area. There was nothing different. It looked fine. However, I will say... I lived here long enough. I lived here 15 years and I've probably traversed the area I was traversing today, you know, 600 times. It is ghosty out there. And I think it's ghosty for several reasons. So here's my theory, Kristen. You can tell me if this sounds correct. So yes, COVID was, you know, we had the one-two punch. COVID closed a lot of things. We know that. And it was very hard for a lot of people to come back. Two, you had the protests. They lasted a very long time. There was a lot of destruction. And what happened during that destruction, people that lived on the east side, maybe like my my daughter's friend's parents, maybe they're in their 60s, people in Lake Oswego. They decided they didn't really wanna come to downtown Portland, not only because COVID had kept them, but like at a certain point, like I don't wanna wade into this violence. Plus the restaurant I used to go to is closed. Okay, so now it's 2021, still have COVID. Of course, we know Oregon State closed a lot longer than a lot of states. I don't think people have come back. They just have not come back and I also don't know you know, Portland for a while was like the place you wanted to visit. It was like the next great, interesting, beautiful, quirky American city. Um I don't think it is that anymore. I did not see a lot of tourists on the street. I saw I saw empty streets. And that was very strange. And I I know I you know, I don't wanna sound like some kind of parachute journalist because I lived here a very long time. Yeah, no, I think it's important that we explain to people for people
0: who don't know your background or for people who didn't hear you on the first episode of the show a couple of years ago that you had a life here, you had a thriving business here, you uh, raised did. a child, yep. you, yeah.
1: Yeah, I did. I, li- I knew Portland pretty well. Lived here 15 years. Does that make me an expert? Of course not. I mean,
0: you were writing about the local food. You know, the, your, yeah, yeah. So- your Sauce boss, Box article, I still remember. Oh, that's hilarious. It's one of my favorites. That's <laughs> so
1: funny. I was like, what's going on here? I mean, <laughs> I come from New York and LA. I'm like, wait, why is everyone mad at me? I just got here. Everyone's already yelling at me. <laughs> so um, in any case, um, it is. it does feel to me to be um, tamped down. And I think there are reasons. I think, again, that's one of the this sort of downstream effects that maybe had not been anticipated. Of course, we can't really control COVID. But I think that Portland has put itself in a position through various policies to make it less attractive for people to come down to the core of their city. And um, that's not going to have good effects. You have to have people move. It's just like anything. It, It becomes sclerotic. You've got to have... Fresh blood and fresh business and fresh investment and people with their ideas and with their beauty and their art—you've got to have that in order for a city to live. Now, I could be wrong. I could be not. I, I've had people say to me, "Nancy, you're you're, you're, you're doomsdaying Portland. You're you're looking for the dark spots," and I'm really not. I no, I don't think you are. In fact, I
0: think you're much much brighter than most people I know who live here who talk
1: about it. (laughs) I think you're, you're a positive person. I try in, 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 in so many articles that I've written, like at the end of the piece or someplace, I try to say like, look toward the beauty. Like it, it can be so beautiful. It is a beautiful city here. It is a, it's a beautiful city. And it's a,
0: it's a. Do you mean like from far away or? (laughs) I mean,
1: mean, I mean. From a drone? I mean, the. (laughs) Now, now. No, I mean, you know, I walked down the street on su- yesterday morning, it was Sunday morning. It was early because we, I wasn't, you know, time change, whatever. I got up, and it was seven o'clock in the morning. I'm walking down North Williams. I couldn't get a cup of coffee because nothing was open yet. Well, New Seasons, it turned out, was, but I could eat fresh grapes off the vine that was growing in someone's front yard. I mean, Portland is beautiful. It's got. Well, we can totally grow stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, you can and we grow, do. We can grow anything. Yeah. Um, I think. Uh, and, and you and I have talked about this. I think the good intentions that Portlanders have put into place, and this is something I'm very intent about writing on, you know, where they're they're suffering, all these policies that were put in uh, in place because we believe ourselves to be the good people and the compassionate people, and we are going to do things better. I think this is a fantastic impetus. It is. Of course it is. But we're seeing some maybe not great effects of it. 110 has not been good. It has not been good for the city. Yeah. Not
0: You're talking about the measure that decriminalized drugs. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: so they decriminalized drugs in 2020. And then I believe I could be getting this number wrong. There was something like $300 million earmarked for wraparound services. But as of like last year, most of those had not been released. And so they did an audit and it was a disaster. Yeah, it was bad. It was so, the audit was bad. So you've, 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 you've allowed, you've created, Created this sort of playpen for people to basically suffer and people are suffering and people are dying. I mean, I don't want to just highlight the bad things. I don't. But Portland's downtown is not that huge. And there was a 24 hour period last year when 12 people overdosed. That's a lot. Okay, that's a lot. So I think I think and I'd be curious to what you think and maybe what your listeners think. I mean, we do see we do see more moderates being elected we do see a populace that is really willing as they were not, it was very difficult in 2020 to say anything against the narrative because then you were, you were branded at, you know, a Trump tard or a fascist right. or, you know, or, or whatever you, you were, you were told like, if you're not with us, you're against us. And now, and so people, you know, Portland, in many ways, is a, it's like kind of like a, you know, it's a northwestern city. Fences make good neighbors. Don't say anything. Like, you know, be be nice. Like, let's all try to get along. People didn't speak up and say they were unhappy. Oh, Kristen, seriously, if I had a a dime for every person that said, I'm going to tell you what I can't tell my neighbors. I'm going to tell you what I can't talk about at work because I will be, I will be, branded part of the enemy are people still saying that to you well no they're not they're not that's interesting that's interesting because they're speaking up or they moved yeah okay they're speaking up now or they're just sort of getting on with life yeah um but there was a there was a time here it was sort of like the stasi right it's like people were afraid of their neighbors they were afraid that if they had a different view if they said like i don't think maybe these things downtown are great every that's like oh okay so what are you saying you want do you want the police to kill people in the street it's like jesus christ no that's not what i'm saying i'm just saying i don't think it's such a great idea that we are continually destroying our city i don't think people feel that way anymore i think they hey if they've just moved on great but we still are dealing with the downstream effects so yeah yeah i so and you know, a lot
0: have moved. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one interesting mm-hmm. thing is that there have been a lot of articles, including even
1: national press about how many people are moving out of Multnomah County in particular. It's the first time in a very, very long time. I mean, Portland was a magnet city when I wrote a piece for, um, for, uh, uh, Reason Magazine in 2021 called The Dream of the 90s Died in Portland. Those are great piece. I Thank you. Um, but I love the title. Um, it had been I mean when I moved here I have a I have I do have data about this it was attracting um, young adults between the ages of 24 and 39 faster than almost any city in the country you the, even during the recession you had growth here because Portland was so on the upswing it was still affordable it was beautiful it wasn't California it was like it was the place and I people believed they could you know live their green dreams here they could live with people that that you know, you know it's not a model that's here. People have different opinions. We have Republicans here, of course, um, but it felt very much like the the the. I don't think we really have
0: Republicans here anymore.
1: A, a few, just out, well outside of the city, you certainly do. Out, I mean, you outside, know, yes, outside they self-select. But, um, it It felt like it felt like the locust from which you could you could grow your dreams. And I really do believe for a while that that was the case. It felt that way to me. Um, And I think it doesn't feel that way anymore. I think Portland still offers tremendous opportunity. I mean, one thing you can say, like, if the city is dying in some ways, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for people to come in and say, you know what, I'm put my money on Portland. And you will have some people doing that. And I think that'd be great. You know, let Portland become its next iteration. I, do. I think it's probably international money. I think it's probably okay. Russian well, and
0: Chinese money, but sure.
1: I think that Portland had an opportunity to really become sort of the next great American city. I think it did ways. too. And I think it, it kind of squandered that opportunity. Yeah, 100%. But... but There's always more opportunity. The the eternal optimist. It's like there's an opportunity for it to become something else. I don't know what that something else is, but people will build it. It's inevitable. People have to create. Well,
0: so I want to channel your optimism here, or at least get you to inject some of it uh, into this episode, because I believe, and and you've walked around here, I, I really believe the garbage alone in this city is a FEMA level issue. I think it's a federal issue. I think the homeless situation by that, I mean, I really mean people in end-stage drug addiction and and open-air insane asylums, because that's who's on the street. It's really severely addicted mentally ill people. I think that is also a federal situation. I mean, the count is like 6,000, and I think it's higher than that. This is not a large city. We have like 600,000 people. That's a lot of people that we need to get off the street, but we're not willing we, we have no ability in our laws or our state constitution or, or anything to, to mandate
1: these people into treatment. Well we have to create we have to create the, the treatment spaces for them. And what's happened is I don't know, push me pull you politics, but you have the money earmarked, let's say, for wraparound services for drug. But users. I think we also have to compel it. I don't think fentanyl addicts are just going to seek rehab. No, they're not. But if you if you actually commit to creating, you know, the environments where they can get help and then you're like, okay, we've got these environments. Now let's get some people on the street. One thing that happened today when I was walking around I was told, look, 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 okay. Let's when you walk around New York City now, even though COVID is kind of in 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 our in the rear view, right? You live in New
0: York. This right. is important because I hear all the time, oh, Portland's a big city. It's just like every other big city, as you no. say though, and I love this word that you use. Portland is hermetic, and most of the people who say things like that haven't been to New York City in like 15 years. So talk to us about the differences.
1: All right, a couple of things. Number one, so COVID is pretty much in our rear view, but what do you see on almost every corner in like busy? Sections of New York City in Manhattan. I live in Manhattan. Um, you see little t- pop-up tents with people giving COVID tests. Well, why? Because somehow there was an opportunity for someone, I don't know if they're making money off the federal government. I don't know if it's private, but they are. They they made it very easy for you to get tested. Here in Portland, down where I was, where there's you know huge populations of homeless, you did have a nonprofit going in and giving them water and giving them tents and socks and socks are great let me let me tell you I used to do this um don't don't I mean if you want to give the homeless money go ahead do it do whatever you want but if you want to give them something keep socks in your car okay people that are on the street it is just an absolute horrible irony that you're homeless and you have your feet just corrode it's terrible and you you know about this? We've talked about this, so give give the homeless. Talks. You can see it wherever you go. Yeah. So um,
0: so, in Portland.
1: <laughs> so wait, I lost my train of thought. Talking about the oh, differences. But what we don't have. All right, so you've got people there, but do we have people walking around saying, "Hey, check it out." We've got this awesome treatment center. Come, can I give you some information? Can I walk you over nope. there? We don't have that. So nope, there's no we, intervention. There's no there, that's not there. And I think part of that is because you've got, and I don't know a lot about it. I want to talk out of my hat here. You you have this weird infighting. Like, is it the city? Is it the county? Is it private organizations? Is it religious organizations? Well, that's not my problem. Well, I, I know he the, the mayor. T- yeah, but do, none of them want to intervene. It doesn't. It or they they. It, it gets pushed, it gets, the can gets kicked down the road. Look, if
0: one of them wanted to, they could. We've got more money than God there in is this a lo- city and county. It's incredible.
1: There is a lot of money is m- not our issue. And, but here's another thing. Money's not the issue, but also if money could stop, it could solve homelessness. We would have solved. Oh my it God. Okay. <laughs> so- a billion percent. <laughs> right. And all right. we do is
0: increase that budget and it just continues to get worse.
1: So what do I think? I, I think you need to, you need to have people not. You can't make drugs. You can't de- And I'm, you know, I think drugs should be decriminalized for the most part. But you have to be able to help people. You have to be able to get them off. To consign someone because you're going to help them, whether you're giving out straws or whether you're just saying, "Okay, we're going to let you do this on the street, but we're not going to offer you any help. I think this is hell on earth for these people. I don't. It is. I understand. I have had many set twos with people um, who are, you know, very for harm reduction. And I'm like, I get it. I get what you're doing. And I, I actually believe that in your heart, you believe it is more compassionate to just say, you know what? look, I'm going to give you some clean straws, I'm going to give you some clean foil, or I'm going to give you a safe place to shoot up because I feel like I don't want to control your life, and so I'm going to do this. I'm like, but then you're, you're continuing, you're clearing the path for them to stay addicted, and I, I feel that's horrible. I feel, I, I mean, I think it is attendant upon us who are fortunate enough to not be addicted to help those that are to get off drugs. I don't see how being a drug addict, helping someone to be addicted to drugs is a is a is a compassionate thing. And that's something that we're just gonna agree to disagree on. Not you and me, but people that just really do believe it is the compassionate thing to do. And I think sometimes Portland suffers from a, an overabundance of compassion in lieu of putting in the hard work that needs to be done to solve some of these problems.
0: I mean I call it mis I don't know that I would even call it compassion. I don't I just don't think it's compassion to hand a fentanyl addict uh, instructional pamphlet about how to tr- put drugs up your butt, a.k.a. boofing some lube. We did this. Our county did this. What? Gloves. Yeah, yeah. Gloves and a mask. A mask. I love that part. Um, I just don't find that compassionate. I mean, as a... As
1: Wait, a you gotta go back. I don't, I don't know about this. Thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Multnomah County, that, that's part of what we're spending our money on. It's called a boofing kit.
1: Yeah, so you put the drugs up your butt and then it gets in your bloodstream and you get high. Well, they like they say
0: it's better than needles, but the irony is it actually is a stronger high. So in effect it ends up contributing to more overdoses than even than a needle would. But they're not using I mean, here's my like another issue is nobody's ever thinking this through. So so what the county started out saying is, hey, nobody's using needles anymore. So we need to establish trust and we need to give establish trust. That's what they say. So they'll say, we need to give them stuff. So if we can't give them needles, what should we give them? Well, let's give them a boofing kit. And then when you question, okay, why? Why would you do that? Well, so they don't use a needle, but you just said they're not, I mean, none of it makes nothing in regard to our approach to drug addiction or homelessness it makes any sense. And so you're just on this idiotic merry-go-round with these people where you're like, but you just said they're not using needles. And then if you say, okay, fine. You say you're establishing trust and that these people ultimately then can ask you about what? Rehab, rehab and detox? Is that what we're doing here? We're trying to quote unquote establish trust so we can establish some relationship to get them to recovery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So where is where is your data? And where's the recovery part? Right, right. I mean, until recently, we had two detoxes and we now have three, one of which open with measure 110 money, which is really weird because and Emily Green from the Lund Report and I disagree about how that statute is read. And I'm you know, this isn't like legal advice or anything because I'm not. Nobody here. I don't have a client who's engaged me to um, analyze 110. But as a lawyer, as a civil lawyer, I, I read 110, and I. It's very clear that any services have to go towards. It's non-judgmental, not abstinence-based, and centered in harm reduction. I don't think detox is any of those. And and here's this is just. I'm totally making this up, but just based on living here, watching what goes on talking to people on this podcast and talking to people outside the podcast or off the record and and hearing from people. What I think happened is they, so 110, Measure 110, this decriminalization of drugs was backed in large part by our current district attorney, Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt is up for reelection. Also, there is a group of people, and it's not small, actively working to try to, Find a way to severely uh, tamp down on Measure One Ten. Not necessarily repeal it, but but screw around with it to the point where the Drug Policy Alliance would be would be very upset. And the, and the Drug Policy Alliance is completely aware that, and the, they're the ones who brought us One Ten. They brought us One Ten from um, you know outside the state. From I think their headquarters are in New York. So we're their, their guinea pig. I, I, I think what's going on is, you know, Nathan Vasquez, as you know, is running against Mike Schmidt for DA. Nathan's been on this show and Nathan is is very adamant about his. Um, negative feelings about Measure 110. And I think Mike knows that the tide is turning against him. There is polling out there that shows that Measure 110 is overwhelmingly unpopular, that nobody understood what they were voting for when they voted for it. And they this Trojan horse of the Drug Policy Alliance has descended upon us, and everybody wants to put all the soldiers back and roll the thing into the ocean. And so I think what's going on is Schmidt and these drug policy lines people are looking at each other and going, well, shit, everybody wants to detox. Let's open up a detox. I mean, maybe we can keep this thing around and I can keep my job as DA if we start opening up these things. Because I think even though it's contrary to the intent of the statute, I, I don't think anybody's going to challenge it. I think if somebody was going to challenge it, it, was gonna, it would be one of these harm reduction people, but they're pro-Schmidt, they're pro intent. Or it would be uh, some, somebody from the DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance. But I think they're looking around thinking, look, we got to make some compromises here if we want to keep Mike around, if we want to keep the statute around, if we want to keep 110 around, keep these drugs decriminalized. We Let's fine. Screw it. Let's set up some detoxes. But this particular one that they opened up. So Emily Green from the Lund Report did this great article about it. And she said um, it's it's. Uh, they they did use 110 money to open it up somehow um and i think they just did it and and nobody was going to nobody's going to challenge that i mean the people who don't like 110 were thrilled with the detox so i'm you know i'm certainly not going to challenge a detox or argue it's against the the intent of the statue we all want this um i think i think it's overwhelmingly popular i think that the issue is with this particular one there there are people that have to go out in the field and find People for this detox, so you can't. So we've got two that you could just walk into for a health and Hooper. Those have lines around the corner every day. Nobody can get into those. This one, I think, it has 16 beds. Uh, so we only have we have three now. I th- they're trying to open another one, I think, with 110 money actually, which is great but um, but this other one you can't just show up at it They're apparently they're going out and finding people and bringing them to this detox and hopefully they're out there because there are we know there are people who want detox because ours are always full so maybe maybe they'll find these other people that are lined up at, at Hooper or Fora maybe they'll connect somehow with these uh, measure 110 outreach workers for this particular detox I don't know but that's what I think is going on I think they've just kind of like you said, you know, I said, that's a positive development, right? Everybody's looking around saying, Hey, we need, we need another detox. I mean, this is kind of what we've been begging for. So I think that's a piece of good news.
1: Right. But 16 beds, I mean, 16 beds, there are no i, I agree I, I saw today i saw you know, I know. 30 people that's probably in, an underestimate in, but a, but yeah. in a tiny little one block area there you
0: go in a one block area
1: I, so I, I think so listener
0: i may so uh one of these articles that i was quoting on twitter i did a twitter thread about this and i um i was talking about this and i i talked about the 16 beds and about how people were upset about like one drug addict in particular who wanted to get off drugs was saying you're you're not even going to make a dent in what's going on in Portland with 16 and a listener responded and said that's like the federal it's like a federal limit or something if you're going to accept Medicaid oh so I I, so I okay yeah I mean but you're right your point is look they've got hundreds of of thousands, if not millions of, I mean, certainly if you combine the county, city, everybody, we've got hundreds of millions, billions, really. I mean, the county certainly does, um, of dollars and billions with a B. And so we could set up as many detoxes and rehabs as we want tomorrow if we wanted to do it. And we're not, obviously your point is, okay, what's 16 more beds? Like what?
1: I mean, it's a start, um, but if you're saying that, you know, they have to qualify for Medicaid, maybe, well, maybe we're going to see some private things. Maybe we're going to see some faith-based. I mean, and I think there probably are some faith-based um, detoxes. I don't I don't know anything about it, but there must be. Uh, not that
0: I know of. Really? Not Not in wow. Multnomah County. It's wow. Hooper and Fora Health. And as far as I know, those are not faith-based. And I think in Portland, at least in my, I'm, I'm a religious person, at least, and I've been part of the two of the food groups um Catholic and Protestant and I think (laughs) two of the main food groups and I think um in my experience uh, these are people who they don't want to open up detoxes they want to hand out socks and lasagnas all right
1: um so I did want to talk a little bit if you would Please, let's talk about Rachel, if
0: that's where you were going to go. So, yeah,
1: we talked about, like, why am I still in the Portland story? Well, because these stories keep happening. And, and of course, they happen all over the country. um, But I know sort of the lay of the land in Portland. So um, last August, my my good friend Michael Moynihan, who's part of the Fifth Column, uh, which records in my apartment in Chinatown, um, sent me just a little item. um, I don't even think it was in the Oregonian, about a woman who had been murdered. And... um, There was something in the piece about how her it was her common law husband or common law, ex common law husband who had had strangled and beaten her and um, how he had been arrested many times over the course of the summer. But he'd never been held for any bail until he was held not on any of the um, on the beating and strangling charges that he had against him, um, but for contempt of court. So they imposed a twenty thousand dollar bail, and um, he didn't have it. He was a, and so a private bail fund um, set up just for Black, Brown, and Indigenous folks. Been around for a couple of years. Came in with the two thousand dollars. They didn't know him. He hadn't. They they had a very tenuous connection through th- to him, and um, he got out. And a week later, he killed her. And. Your story
0: on this is so powerful. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's called A Murder in Portland. It's Washington Examiner. And the photos in it of Rachel are beautiful uh, and very moving. So
1: I met with a good friend of hers, someone she had really grown up with. Rachel had a hard growing up in some ways. And this was a girl that she'd met. Uh, when she was a teenager and her, you know, she basically became part of her family and I met with her um, after Rachel was killed and, and she gave me some photos and that was, that was lovely. Thank you, Shay, for doing that. Um, um, so I, you know, I, these stories happen and it, as people say to me, how do you, how do you find your stories? And I my, it's almost always the same. It's like, how does this happen? How does this happen? How, how does a man who has been arrested four times, who had a meeting just in terms of what he had been doing to his common law wife, um, who had six children, by the way, three of whom were in the house when she was killed, when he killed her. Um, how is he let out this many times? How is he? And, you know, the DA knew. And and, the, and it was
0: strangulation, if I remember five, correctly. He had
1: five counts of strangulation against him. And this was from, I believe, June and um, some other counts. And um, the judge imposed no bail on that. And, you know, it, I have to say, I, I don't have a lot of great things to say about Mike Schmidt or some things that have been happening in the DA's office, but they did try to get $65,000 bail uh, required for him, which would have, you had to come in with See, you.
0: I read that differently. So when I looked at the um, documents, the information, basically like the, basically the, the criminal complaint against... Uh, Mohammed Adon who allegedly, uh, his trial is not until, if I, if I remember correctly, it's not until March of next year. So he's not been convicted. So I, I remember looking at that and seeing it differently. I remember them, I saw that as more of them writing down the formula for what the you know a default request for bail would be but i don't know how vigorously they argued for that did you hear
1: an an oral argument or anything for that i didn't hear an oral argument but i did see that the da that was it wasn't schmidt it was someone in his office she said he presents a high level of lethality that's a well that's important i mean that's that's, thank you thank you for clarifying that i mean that's that's but but what happened Kristen? the judge declined to impose any bail. So he was let out then. They gave him an ankle monitor, which he tore off, went back to her house. They they tracked him to his house, to her house. I guess he still had the monitor on when he got there. And he said, oh, well, no, I'm not here. They're like, well, we know you're there. (laughs) And says, well, you know what happened was I was sleeping and someone took it off me. It's just like such. So now there was a warrant for his arrest. And I guess he was arrested and they let him out again. And I believe it was three times. Over the course of last summer, he just was let out for no bail. no matter what happened. I mean, if someone, if you're... Can you imagine? Well, it's like, you know, your kid does something wrong. And you say, I'm going to punish you, but I'm not going to punish you this time. But if you do it again next time, you're going to... And then you don't. And then you don't. And then he goes and he beats her so badly. And he still... He finally they 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 know they arrest him again because she's been calling the police and he she has told them multiple times he tells me he is going to kill me he, she's telling this to the cops this is in they write this down finally they hold him contempt of court why that was what that why what that was what what triggered it I don't know and uh, this bail fund came in they bailed him out A week later he went and he killed her and my understanding is the basis
0: of bailing him out was because he was black it wasn't like they were bailing out everybody in jail is that your uh, understanding or do you know
1: well they had so i I would like to preface this by saying and i've said this before so i'm quoting myself if you want to start a bail fund for left-handed croatian tennis players be my guest you absolutely have the right to do that this is a private bail fund you're getting donations you have a certain belief i i understand why this would be a mandate. And, but they did change their mandate. It started off when they started. the Portland Freedom Fund. When they started, I believe, in 2017, it was more women-based, like women of color, indigenous women. You know, they wanted to help women. But then what happened? Which is
0: interesting because Rachel was a black yes, woman. Yes, Rachel
1: happened to be a black woman. That is correct. And Muhammad Adan. Why her, aren't we her, helping Rachel, this black well, woman? So what happened? What did we have happen? We had 2020 happen and they changed their mission statement, which was, uh, to our black, brown, and, and indigenous neighbors. So, okay, they uh, had bailed out some people and they were fairly proud of this. I remember before they scrapped their Facebook page, um, I don't know if it was the, the head of the fund or not, but they would, you know, they'd have the people that they bailed out, the, the bail tickets, like, fanned out. You know, they were, they were understandably, I guess, proud of the work that they were doing. Now, they bailed him out and shocker of shocks, um, everybody went to ground. They didn't want to talk to anybody. DA's office didn't want to talk about it. The, the, the um, defense attorney who defended Adon, who's a, it's one of the two big you know public defenders here, they would not talk about it. I got them on the phone, and they said, we're not going to be talking about that. Thank you. I think they.
0: Talk, I think the head of the Freedom Fund of remember correctly Portland Freedom Fund, talked to OPB. It
1: wasn't the head; it was the treasurer.
0: The treasurer. And okay.
1: He, what he said. I. I. This actually. You know. Do other people's reporting pisses piss me off? Sometimes they yeah, do. You and
0: I talked about this last fall.
1: Yeah, because they. It was a pretty. I. I actually really like and respect the interviewer, um, but. It was basically about the fund and its mission. Yes, the reason he was there talking to them was because of Rachel's death, but they didn't mention Rachel's name until like seven eighths. And they spelled it. it wrong. They spelled it wrong. Well, it's a, it's a weird, she spells it R A C. I don't care. A-E-L. I agree. I agree. It was agree. so,
0: it was so, I, I found it so distasteful.
1: It was sad. It was really sad. I I thought it was a
0: terrible piece of... In my opinion, it was not a good piece of journalism. It was a puff piece for the Freedom Fund, in my opinion.
1: It was was definitely very interested in whether the fund was going to continue its mission. And the... Terrence, I can't remember his last name, he said, you know, basically, for everybody saying that this is our fault is nonsense. Because, look, the judge imposed bail. He's right. He's right in that sense. The judge... Imposed bail and they paid the bail but he said but we're definitely going to continue our mission i feel they didn't do their due diligence i feel that the judges that um decided whether because again it's downstream effects we want to be more lenient um whether it was politics whether it's the zeitgeist whether it's portland i don't know i'm not these judges but that they felt that it was okay it was okay that he's beating her and strangling her. We're, we're not going to... Now, are they over... Are the, the case loads, as you know, there's a backlog. They can't... They can only do the most heinous crimes. But they failed, Rachel. I, they... I'm sorry. The Portland judicial system did everything but roll out the red carpet for this man to kill her. Every single time, he could have been stopped the door was opened for him. And I had people, I'm sorry, now I am going to get I'm going to get all, all spicy here. I had people, after that article ran, say to me, or post as an editor at a, at a website, that, yeah, this is a terrible crime, but this article is deeply dishonest. And you know why? It's dishonest because you cannot hold anyone until they're convicted. You can't hold someone just because, you know, they can't pay the bail or whatever. You had not been convicted, so you couldn't hold him. So I'm like, okay, so then if that's what you're telling me, then you are telling me that some part of your psyche or your ideology well, yeah. is cool with a woman being repeatedly beaten. You're good with that. And you're good with her assailant repeatedly attacking her and then when they could have maybe held him, I don't know, because you know, he strangled her, you you wouldn't agree with that. So which way do you want it? Do you want to be do you want to have a criminal justice system that allows for that kind of leniency for violent crime? I'm not talking about stealing from a seven eleven, which I also think is terrible, but I'm talking about violent crime. Violent criminals need to be kept out of the general population. I'm sorry, not one little thing. Okay, we all make mistakes. Okay, maybe you, I don't know. This particular case, this man needed to be kept away from this woman. And Portland was not willing to do that. And the, the, the people that had the power to keep him away from her declined to do that. And when I tried to talk to them, to a man and woman... They would not talk about it. And I would hope, I really would hope that Rachel Abraham's death, there are now six little girls without a mother, okay? I would hope that this could be an example of, you know what? We have to do things better. Maybe we don't know yet how we do things better. But we have to do things better. And that case, um, I was a—I think it was an important story. I have absolutely no idea.
0: if You're any, the only anybody, one who reported on that case from Rachel Abraham's perspective. Oh yeah. You're the only one. It was a, your article is called a murder in Portland. It was a Portland murder and the local press failed to talk in depth at all about the victim.
1: Okay. I. I haven't read all of the coverage. I read. I probably actually have. Um, Oh, I think you have. I have. Well, here's here's what I will say about my fellow press people. I have been freelance my entire career. I have the luxury of taking time. I took months on that story. The Oregonian was in the middle last year. Portland beat its murder record. It's never had as many murders. You have good reporters, my friend Shane Shane Kavanaugh. He's a terrific reporter down at the Oregonian. You write about a murder that happened on a Sunday. By Wednesday, you got two more murders. Like, they don't have the luxury to spread out like I did. Now, sometimes they do. Sometimes, you know, they'll take a long time and run these fantastic long-form pieces. I also don't know
0: that even if Shane had written something like that, that it would have been published. I really don't know that. That's well, just my opinion about that paper, but I don't know that, that there would have been um, momentum to get that done. I,
1: I, I, don't, I, I can't answer that question. It's just my opinion. All I know is that I feel I feel privileged, really, I don't want to get overcome here, I feel privileged to be able to write her story. Because, you know, and of course, like, well, Nancy, you know, there's 3,000 other people who were murdered. You know, It's like, yeah, I know, I get it. But I, I thought it was important to tell. Maybe it's part of um, a store of information that people have in Portland of their head, in their heads, as we try to maybe do better. And now, maybe I sound like super conceited. Like, what the who the fuck cares what you think, Nancy? Like, I, you know, we you are not in charge, and I'm not. Thank God, I'm not in charge of making policy. But we, I said before, everything starts with a story. Every single thing starts with a story. The way we live, I've I've quote, I've probably said it on your podcast, and I wish I could find it because I say it on every podcast. I once read that people will go voluntarily longer without food than they will without telling or hearing stories. Everything starts with a story. Rachel was a person who lived, a lovely person by all accounts. Her story was important, and may may we not forget that and do better in the future.
0: Here's a question. Do you think that this argument that we shouldn't incapacitate violent criminals because they alleged violent criminals because they have not yet been found guilty, do you think that these people making that argument, and let's just stick to Portland for a minute, do you think the people in Portland making that argument would make still make that argument if the criminal defendant were a proud boy or a white supremacist? Or a guy with a mega hat on who killed a black person? You know. Because I think they wouldn't.
1: It's kind of a loaded question, but I, I think they wouldn't, probably. I mean, we saw after... Um, These people are not philosophically consistent. After Jay Danielson was killed... Um, Aaron, Aaron Danielson, Aaron, right? Jay was his nickname, sorry. Yeah. They called him Jay. Um, after he was killed, there's a video that I've posted a number of times now, and it was of a some people in black block... Uh, one young woman um, sort of at the center, she had a Meg, she was at Bullhorn, and she was shouting into it, I am not sorry a you know, fascist was killed in the street tonight. We can take out the trash on our own. And people were cheering, and I thought, you're a death cult. You're a death cult. You are cheering the murder of a man you didn't know. You don't anything about him. You do not know what he did for a living. You didn't know who loved him. You Nothing. You know nothing. You're just happy that he was murdered in the street. Well, I wouldn't say happy, but you're celebrating his murder in the street. That was the temperature in Portland at that time. Would most of those people do that today? No, I doubt it. I highly doubt it. I highly doubt we were in such a frenzy in the summer of 2020. Like, everybody was at this, like, peak pre-orgasmic frenzy frenzy all the time that they could do that and feel that they were right I don't think that we are there right now I don't think that if you had um well look the Proud Boys are a big flashpoint of course but let's say you just had a person in a MAGA hat um kill someone in the street would he be strung up from a lamppost if the
0: person was black, I don't know that he'd be strung up from a lamppost, but I do think you'd find some philosophical inconsistency about who should be let out of jail and whether violent criminals should be incapacitated. Well,
1: okay, first of all, I don't think it would matter if the person was black. I think if the person had on a MAGA cap, there's Well, an, that's an, true. An, no, you're exactly right. Well, I'll give you an that's example. That's a good point. So, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Enrique Tarrio, who used to be the head of the Proud Boys. He was, he has been, he's up for 33 years in prison because of the January 6th uh 2021 right, what happened at the capitol which was awful i p- really terrible and potentially terrible i mean i i gotta tell you i don't know if they had gotten to mike pence i'm i don't know what have, what would have happened I yeah mean, i agree i don't were, know either people were in that same sort of frenzy that yeah por- i agree portlanders were for you know months on end to maintain that sort of frenzy however uh Tarja was not there he was not there on january 6th he'd been arrested a couple days before and something else but he was he's been convicted of uh, sort of conspiring to bring together the proud boys there i i don't know a whole lot about what the proud boys agenda were, was but i will tell you 33 years is a long time for not having been at the scene of a situation now Your listeners may be able to school me on things I don't know. Like, well, Nancy, you have no idea. Maybe he was planning, you know, who did the mass murder of millions. I doubt it. But, you know, we are angry in this city. Very, very, very angry and very paranoid about the Proud Boys and about Patriot Prayer. And I think that they became, in 2020 and 2021, and probably still to this day, very much the enemy. And um, I've said this before, and I could be wrong, but I was on the streets of Portland dozens and dozens of nights. Well, dozens of nights, let's say. And I was here exactly one. I was here every single night. There 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 was mayhem and fires and breaking and altercations with the cops. One time did the Proud Boys, were the Proud Boys there? One time. And it was a back the blue event during the day. It was the day that the guy swung a metal rod at me. Uh there was I know there wasn't then there was the, the the Trump caravan that rolled through the night that J. Danielson was killed. So that's two. Um I think there were a couple of nights, but that's like four times out of however many hundreds of nights, several hundred nights. Right. And my
0: understanding is they were coming from I mean, like I said, these people self select, they're coming from outside of Portland. I don't think any of these uh, people on the more extreme right live in Portland.
1: I don't. I don't think so either. Um, but I do wonder. Let me ask you. I wonder if that was. Um, I wonder if you need your enemy. If you need to believe your enemy is closer because. Oh, absolutely. You, because there's
0: this fiction that white supremacy is some kind of. <laughs> the white supremacy is our biggest issue in the city of Portland. Yeah.
1: I remember, um, and also the police. You know, the police were very, very vilified in the city. I had a young woman. She was maybe, oh, about 20. She had blonde hair, and she ran up to me. It was the night that, uh, it was the same night that Ted Wheeler was tear gassed um, by, you know, n- not by Proud Boys. <laughs> um, by his own, his own right. the people he was trying people. to bond with, the yeah. far lefties. Yeah, but um, she ran up to me very upset. I mean, she was extremely upset and she screamed at me that all her black friends were being murdered in the streets. And she was... Kristen, she wasn't like kidding around. Yeah, no, I think these people believe that. And it was really... I mean, really, they haven't visited
0: the Washington Post database on police right, killings, obviously. But right, they, this is right. the narrative they believe.
1: I wanted to talk to her. I was like, wait, wait. And and I, she just like disappeared and ran back into the crowd. But there was a certain level of fear here. Again, God, I'm, I'm just repeating myself here. Why does she believe that? because somehow that story is getting through to her now it could just be that you know her friends are telling her this or there's you know pamphlets there's certainly plenty of pamphlets we know the data doesn't i mean that particular year there were at that point there had been two police killings in portland both of of white men but i think there was one more at the end of the year also a white guy was mentally ill um and you know he anyway in any case these stories it kind of doesn't matter like no it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you the believe, facts don't matter if you believe it's this is
0: their religion
1: I I you know because these people were so young and I really do believe I I believe most of them have probably gone on with their lives their jobs their work their maybe they have families now maybe they've moved away I they're not they're not in the streets no one's in the streets right now. Yeah, they okay? finally
0: relented after what 180 plus nights or something. They they did stop.
1: They, they you know they they got it out of their system. Things got better, and hopefully again, I hope they're walking toward the sunshine, and I hope that they would say. I
0: think they all went to that police training camp, actually. Oh, the. That's, That's the latest. I just remember thinking, oh, I feel so bad for those those people.
1: But oh, my God, I'm so glad they're not here. I think that you know what, Kristen, I think they are here. I think they are here, but they're not the same people anymore. They're not the same That's people. That's interesting. They're not in That was in Atlanta, that police right. training camp. They're not injected with that same. It was almost as though they had a fever and then the fever broke, you know? And when it happened, I, I've really tried to. What I mean, are they filling that void
0: with now, well, do you think? Okay,
1: so let's talk about, at least from my perspective, most of the people there were young. They were in their early right. tw- Early to mid 20s, sometimes a little older, but, you know, early to mid 20s, maybe early 30s. They were out of work, they were out of school. They were, in, they were absolutely cooped up in their house. I've read this before. They couldn't leave the house to drink or to right. party or to fuck or to do anything. So now you get to get out of the house. Not only that, but you're like making the world a better place. Right. How irresistible. This is like a drug injected into your system. And I get it. I, I don't think I would have been one of those people because I've never been. I never wanted to destroy people's property. But I get it. I get the mania that they felt. I spoke to a lot of them. One-on-one, uh, hand to God, one-on-one. These kids were nice kids. I talked to them for the most part. I talked to tons of them, but they were like, you know, they wanted to talk, they wanted to show me things. So was like they were kids. And then the fever broke. And then they went back to school, or they went and they got a job, or they got married, or they had a kid, or they decided to go move to another state. They're still here. They're just not infected, or infected might be the wrong word. I don't mean to be pejorative. They were not imbued with the same fervor. I I think many of them are still here. I don't believe that you had two thousand a band of two thousand roaming anarchists, you know, for hire. That George Soros. I never want to hear George Soros's name again. Really, please. <laughs> you know that that like go and colonize other cities. You have some of that, but I'll tell you what. I went to the Derek Chauvin trial in uh, Minneapolis, and there were so many news cameras there because obviously because it was huge, but also because they absolutely anticipated dozens of buses of anarchists being busted. There, nobody was there. Okay, but don't you think they would have
0: materialized if he'd been found not guilty? I mean I, th- I honestly if I'd been on that jury I I, I wasn't on the jury. I look they, they found that he was a murderer. I have no reason to believe that he wasn't a murderer i'm not going to defend Derek chauvin but i will say if i run that jury i would be terrified that if i didn't find this guy guilty my town would be burned down a la portland oregon a la
1: you know that that is that is true and one of the stories i ran at that time was with a um an officer in um st paul who said they're gonna find him guilty because the citizens of this town Yeah, know. they don't want
0: their town burned
1: down yeah, I mean, you know, Derek, Derek Chauvin's no nobody's idea of a good cop, and I have talked to so many police officers. who are like this guy, man, he's is, he's is the problem. Agree. He I ha- problem. I haven't met one. I haven't no, met no, one who thinks won't. that he did a good job. No, it's terrible. Um, in any case, I, I think these people are still. I and I could tell you actually, I could tell you a little story. There is uh, some young people that I know um, from when I lived here, and they were a couple. And, you know, at the beginning, and this is actually true, at the beginning, people were marching because they were marching in solidarity, right? They were marching in solidarity to protest the the, the, the death of, of, um, of George Floyd and to protest police violence as they saw it. And they felt good about that. And I, I back these young people for doing that. That's fine. That's great. But then one of them worked at a bar. And finally, his bar was able to open after COVID. And he was out there pulling out some tables cafe tables and he saw like some people he knew former crew dressed in black block though I'm not sure if they were black block or whatever that means um, coming toward him and they started getting on his ass for not marching with them and they turned over his tables and after that he said he and his wife they never marched again they stayed home and they played you know board games wow because they were people that believed something and had a sort of a righteous indignation and they wanted to make that shown but then it got too violent they 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 went back into their lives so i think these these kids still are here and um (laughs) i hope that they do great things that's what i hope (laughs) i just i hope for portland i want Good things for. I get accused of being a you know very down on Portland or only you know writing about the murders or the violence. It's like well you know these are stories too, but I I I root for Portland. I root for Portland to be be what its next iteration is. I I truly do.
0: So if you could, I I know you said thank God I'm not a policymaker, but (laughs) if you could put your policymaker hat on, um, what would you do? to quote unquote turn things around.
1: So I, I really don't <laughs> if I wish I had the, the, the answer to the drug issues in this country, I don't. Um I
0: would it's not this it's not really this country though. I mean as you know the most places don't look like this.
1: No, I think there's been a weird um a weird sort of permissiveness without that's right without the that's exactly without right the complimentary part that you need what would i do i would say okay we've got 300 million dollars first of all the people that were in charge of putting this money to use you got to go because you've done an absolutely terrible job i would hire people that had an understanding that it was more compassionate to help people get off drugs than to help them stay on drugs. We're not going to be any boofing in the Nancy Rommelman <laughs> uh, administration, okay? Um, and we would we would try to figure out, and I don't know what these are. Is it places where it's just pure detox? It's Is it places where you get people out into the country and you've got some detox, but you also allow them to work and you give them job training and you you try to offer them ways to help themselves, right? Yeah, that's a
0: lot of the stuff that Alberta right. does, know. Canada. Yeah.
1: Right. So I would do that. Number one, I would also, I'm sorry. I, and I, and I'm, I would be very happy. And my, my, listen, I'm super easy to find. Do you want to find me? I'm on Twitter. My DMs are open. I would be very happy to talk to someone. And I have, actually, there's a, there's a nice blogger. I disagree with her about Almost everything, but her name is Tana Geneva, and she and I have had very civil discussions about criminal justice. She feels very differently than I do, but I love talking to her because we're like super respectful of each other's opinions. Um, I think you need to keep violent criminals behind bars while they're waiting for their trial because we've seen over and over that violent criminals commit violence. Also, strangulation is the best predictor of whether you're going to commit murder, and they knew. That he continually strangled her. And this is very well known that that is the best predictor of whether you're going to kill someone. I would look at how we are adjudicating violent crimes here, and I would make sure that violent criminals were kept. I don't care how much money they have, they can't get out of jail. I don't care if you're a billionaire. You can't get out of jail or if you are, in, you know, until you've had a trial. Um, what else would I do? What what other problems the homeless situation? Oh, Gave. I, I Well you
0: kinda you address some of that with the drugs.
1: Yeah, I mean if you get people if people are not you know, once they are no longer addicted to drugs, right. they maybe can you're help. not
0: usually interested in setting up a tent on the sidewalk no. if you're not No, if you're sober, sober people don't tend to sleep. If any sober people out there have ever tried to sleep on a sidewalk, (laughs) I don't think there are many, but uh, you would you would know why we call this our quote unquote homeless crisis a drug crisis.
1: And the last thing I guess I would do is I would become a big booster for this city. I mean, I would say, hello, world. We had a hiccup here. We know we did. And we really want to do better. And we want to show you how beautiful this city is. And we want to show you that we're ready to work with you, to, to be makers again. Portland was a city of makers. Yeah, it was. And then we became a city of breakers. And now it's time to sort of to, to remake things. So that's
0: what I do. Well, yes. thanks for taking time. I know you're so busy. You're busy every trip here, but you are so busy this oh, trip. I know that. Man. So I really appreciate that you came in. This was so much fun. Thanks for coming back on. And I'm really excited to seeing your pieces that are going to come out from this trip. Thank you for having me on so again. So tell us, though, where do we go um, to read those pieces? Uh, and you have a podcast, too. I Smoke do. them if you got yeah, them. Yeah, it's
1: time for me to, pr- to promote myself. I'm on Substack, uh, NancyRommelman.substack.com, or make more pie. You know what that means, right? There's not one pie that we split into smaller slices, you just make more pie. I have, a, I have a, a podcast called Smoke Em If You Got Em with the wonderful journalist Sarah Heppelow, who's based in Dallas. Uh, and I'm writing now, uh, I'm going to keep that under wraps for who I'm writing for now, but you can find my work at Reason, you can find my work at the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Free Press. I'm around, easy to find.
0: And she Nancy also has a great book called oh. To the Bridge about um, Amanda Amanda Stott, who... who threw her children over the Selwood Bridge and, and, ended. I mean, just recently allegedly has killed herself in prison. Well,
1: I, I don't, you know, that's interesting that you said, so yes. Yeah, so the book is called to the bridge, a true story of motherhood and murder. And you want to talk about having the time to stretch out and it's write a that great story. Book. Thank you. Um, it's, it's done pretty well. Um, Amanda died um, a couple of months ago in her cell. I don't, I don't know how she died. Um, she was. Yeah, we haven't seen anything definitive on that. No, um, I don't. I I don't think that it was. I don't think she was killed. Um, she had been in prison since uh, since uh, two thousand and ten.
0: So, are you kind of saying that if there was somebody out there in the prison population who wanted to they would have kill her for earlier. killing her kids, would that have. Would, have happened. It would have happened a long yeah. time ago?
1: Um, but I, I don't know. Um, yeah, but it was. It's um it's a it's a sad story all around and I and I and I hate to say it's it's stayed it stayed sad because people still keep in touch with me but um yeah I'll read the book uh, let me know what you think I'm always happy to talk to people about it um or so Kristen thank you for having me thank you again okay.